please keep your Bibles open to Psalm 12 as we study this beautiful psalm and this important psalm this morning. Writing to Timothy from his prison cell in Rome and awaiting his execution, the Apostle Paul described to Timothy how the faithful have vanished. You are aware, he wrote, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Longing for help, Paul goes on to write to Timothy and say, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is left with me. Finally, speaking of his trial, he said to Timothy, At my first offense, no one, no one, came to stand by me, but all had deserted me. Paul's friends, his colleagues, his partners, left him when he needed them most. Elsewhere, Paul writes about those in the churches, in the Christian communities that he helped to start. And he, and he says, those, he talks about those who had become enemies of the cross. And former colleagues, he writes, who had now made shipwreck of their faith. Sitting in a jail cell awaiting his execution. If anyone ever had a right to sing Psalm 12, it was Paul. Paul knew David's experience very well. How the faithful have vanished. In Psalm 12, David describes the faithful as vanishing before his eyes, as if they're going away once and for all. And he laments this. You'll notice in these psalms, as we're working through the Psalter, we're getting one lament after another as David confronts the reality of life for God's people and as God's anointed king. And here he's looking around, and it's as if the faithful have completely vanished. We will highlight two fundamental truths this morning from Psalm 12 as we study David's experience. And that first truth is this. Number one, the faithless destroy truth. The faithless destroy truth. Theodoret of Cyrus, the early church father, gives voice to a perennial problem when he writes, regard for truth is in danger of being snuffed out. You'd think he was writing today, right? Regard for truth is in danger of being snuffed out with everyone, you might say, suffering from distrust in one another. They pretend friendship and perform the actions of enemies. In writing this, he shares David's experience. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 12. Here David laments. He said, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone, verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. God's true people are so few 
that it's as if they are a dying breed to David. He's looking around and saying, the faithful are going extinct. Where are they? Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of man. David describes our experience often today as well, doesn't he? David surveys the children of man and he sees nothing but liars and hypocrites, those who use deceit and flattery for personal gain, people who despise truth and love treachery with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Now, David did have a few true friends. He's not saying all the godly are gone, but he's using poetic language to say it feels as if there are very few of us. David did have a few trusted friends. I think of Jonathan, right? I think of his mighty men who fought with him, but many around him proved fickle or, or worse. Though David delivered Israel from Goliath, Though he served faithfully in the king's courts as a young man, Saul sought to kill him on several occasions. Though David was the king and anointed of God, his own son led a rebellion to take him down. Absalom went for his throne, his life, and even his wives. Likewise, David's most trusted advisor turned on him in that same rebellion and became his bitterest enemy, his own trusted advisor who stood by him in the courts to give him counsel for in wartime and in peacetime, turned on him and made a plan so that Absalom could kill him. David prays for the downfall of these double-hearted people in verses 3 and 4. Look at the text again with me. David says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Outside and inside the congregation. David gives voice to our common experience as the people of God. Proud and deceitful men have hurt God's people in every age. And when I say men, I mean women too, of course, right? So, but people in every age have deeply wounded the people of God. Not just outside the congregation, but inside as well. So, for example, uh, I spent some time reading the what the reformers, how the reformers interpreted Psalm 12, what how they applied Psalm 12 to their day. And the reformers were very attuned to this problem of disingenuous people as they were going about the Reformation here in Europe. So, for example, the early Lutheran scholar, Nicholas Selnecker, commenting on the psalm writes, This is a lamentation about fanatical spirits and heretics who distort doctrine. David prays to God that he would fell such scoundrels, frauds, and hypocrites and protect and preserve the true teachers and Christians. At the same time, it is also a comforting promise that God will surely defend his word and pure doctrine and wipe out all enthusiasts and distorters as he dealt with Serinthius, Ebion, Arius, and many others. Citing some early church heretics there. 
The truth shall and must remain and triumph in the end, even if it might from time to time be contested, covered up for a while, and oppressed. Selnecker goes on to say and show us how we can pray Psalm 12. He says, we should consider this psalm often, pray it, and meditate on it, especially if we want to preserve his word against all human doctrines and new innovations. It is very necessary in our present time that we pray this psalm often because great barrels full of human doctrines are brought forth from all sides. There is no limit, no ceasing, no end. Everyone wants to be a master and do it better than it was previously done and confirmed by God's grace. Therefore, there emerges so many new innovations, such strange discourses, allegories, bizarre thoughts and interpretations of the clear and bright word of God. Poor consciences are needlessly confused, made to error, burdened and tricked. Therefore, we must pray this psalm and take comfort in it that God will awaken his salvation, namely his word, which confidently storms such straw work of human doctrine and frees captive consciences. When we look at Israel as a whole, we are reminded that they are a shadow of the church, which would be made up of Jews and Gentiles from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And as people were going and treacherously waging war behind David's back or undercutting David's reign, all of that is pointing forward to Christ and his church. And there will be people, just as there was in Israel, undercutting God's anointed and undercutting God's law and twisting it and perverting it, and twisting the worship, as we know from the history of Israel all the more there will be even within the church today. And as we survey the Christian landscape, it's not just word of faith preachers and health and wealth prosperity preachers that are a problem. Doctrine is being twisted. And all of that is subverting Christ's rule because Christ rules the church through his word. And the reformers are very attuned to this as they are reading Psalm 12. And seeing how the same thing is happening today, in their day as it is in ours, that barrels full of human doctrines are being brought about as truth. The devil's most sinister attack against God's kingdom lies in destroying truth through the perversion of doctrine, both from those who deny it those who deny sound doctrine, those who ignore sound doctrine, and those who twist sound doctrine. Either way, you don't have to like come with a gun to church to be an enemy of the church. The devil's, That's rather obvious, actually. The devil's most sinister and cunning attacks come from the denying, the ignoring, and twisting of God's word outside and inside the congregation. David, Paul, the early church fathers, the reformers, and us today, we have all faced the onslaught of Satan's attempt to destroy truth in the church and in the world. They have all known what it feels like to face betrayal as 
false companions uh, in the congregation. You know, I think we, if we are honest, we've experienced a little bit of that ourselves. So how should we pray? Well, David instructs us how to pray here in verses 3 and 4. He says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? This phrase, cut off, in this context, in this form of the Hebrew verb, means to destroy. He's asking that God would silence and destroy those who are against truth and who are against God's kingdom. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. So David here instructs God's people to pray for the downfall of those who destroy truth. But he also calls us to rejoice that God is faithful to keep his word to protect us. And that's the second point. Let's look at the second point now. God keeps his word to save us. In the face of the flattery and lies of the faithless, David rejoices in God's faithfulness to keep his word to protect his people. For God speaks in verse 5, and what a contrast to the flatterers that are quoted in verses 3 and 4. God speaks in verse 5, and he says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. God hears the groaning of his people. God hears your groanings. And he will rise to save us. Verse 5 evokes captive Israel, doesn't it? Remember, captive Israel in Egypt. Pharaoh made their lives bitter through hard labor. And God's people groaned. Remember what Moses writes in Exodus? God heard. Recall Exodus 2.24, And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God's word contains his covenant promises to save his church, a people for himself from every tribe, language, and nation. The same covenant promise made to Abraham is given to us through Christ, the offspring of Abraham. And in contrast to the filthy lies of the faithless, David rejoices in the pure, indestructible words of God. Note the highlight on God's words in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. God's word is indestructible. Fire cannot destroy it. It can only make it stronger. 
Martin Luther writes about this refinement in his comment on this verse. Luther says, This trying and testing of his seems to demonstrate that it is rather clarified and strengthened by the controversies of the heretics. God's word is clarified and strengthened by the controversies of heretics. Luther is saying that God's word is only made stronger when the lies and deceit of false teachers seek to pervert it. So many wicked people have done their utmost to twist, silence, or destroy God's word, only to prove its power and its truth and veracity all the more. And this is our hope. Because God's promises are sure, because God's word is unstoppable, we have an absolute hope in God's promise to save us. God will keep his word to protect his people. It makes me think of what the Lord said in Isaiah, I have reserved 7,000 who will not bow the knee to Baal. Remember in Isaiah's day, it looked that the, like the faithful had vanished. It looked like they were all going astray. The, the whole worship system, cult of the Lord was perverted all the way to the top. As even the priests were, were mixing in worship of the Baals with worship of the Lord. And Isaiah is looking around. It looks as though the godly have vanished. And yet the Lord says to him, I have reserved 7,000 who will not bow the knee to Baal. And David concludes with this same hope in verse 7. Look at the text with me. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. It is grievous to see the vileness that is commonplace today, that is exalted today. And it's even more grievous to see that vileness being exalted even in parts of the visible church where things that God calls evil are called good. And priests will stand up and call what God calls evil good. But we have this sure promise that the Lord will keep his true people. He will guard us, brothers and sisters. He will guard us from this wicked and adulterous generation forever. David does not promise immediate deliverance here. But he does give us a profound assurance that God will keep us forever. As I think about our Lord's experience, right? no one suffered more under the lies and the calumnies of wicked people than Christ. Right? No one suffered more under the deceit and the malice of Satan than Jesus. And he knew full well what his church would suffer after his ascension. And he did not promise us a smooth road. You know, he said in 
to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And in his high priestly prayer on the Mount of Olives, he doubled down on David's promise that we just read about in verse 7. In John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, Holy Father, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Look at this connection to Psalm 12. How does Jesus say we will be guarded from this wicked generation? It's by the sanctification that comes from his word. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, I have guarded them. I give them to you, Father. Keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in truth. In closing, I want to bring us back to Paul's experience and then end with a prayer from a a Lutheran reformer. Writing to Timothy while sitting in prison, Paul reminded him, that we're living in the last days. And Paul tells Timothy in his second letter, waiting for his own execution, that godlessness will prevail in these last days. He told Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It'd be easy to think Paul is just talking about people on the streets, right? Of Ephesus or Corinth or Rome. But he's talking about people who have an appearance of godliness, but in denying its power. He's talking about people that have some kind of relationship with the visible church. And Timothy's getting discouraged. You know, what's going on? If we're standing for the truth, shouldn't everything be going well? Right? Shouldn't everyone say, wow, they've got the truth. Let's listen. Just the opposite. Godlessness will increase in the last days. Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. 
just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So there's going to be false teachers who have an appearance of godliness but are disqualified regarding the faith, who are going to lead astray weak people in the church. And the only way that we can protect ourselves from such people is to be sanctified by the word of God, to be sound in the faith. Paul saw firsthand how some people he served with in ministry had made shipwrecks of their faith. Without the protection of God's word, we are doomed to the same fate. In my uh, study this week, I found a fitting prayer. I've already quoted from this scholar, Nicholas Selnecker, and I want to use his prayer for us to close this message this morning. It speaks, it speaks right to the current day. It's amazing how the same things we face today are the same things the reformers faced. They're the same things the early church fathers faced. They're the same things Paul faced. And they're the same things David faced. It's encouraging to know that really there's nothing new under the sun, but God will preserve his people. And Selnecker here gives us a great prayer towards that end as we ask God to protect us and guard us in his truth. Let's bow our heads and I will, I will pray this prayer as a closing prayer for us this morning. Almighty and eternal God, you see how your saints are so few and how indeed how rarely and infrequently they seek or promote your honor. And now, as unfortunately you can see in churches and rurally governments as well as in common life, there's a great sense of security, pride, discord, and dissension. Thus, dear Lord, we ask you that you would mercifully turn away or even as a father temper our well-deserved punishments and leave us a true seed so that we would not become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Send faithful workers into your vineyard who do not speak of useless matters and made-up fables, who are not hypocrites, who are not proud, arrogant, and lazy, and self-assured. Ensure that they teach from unity of heart and that they are united in you. Grant them humble hearts. O Lord God, it is dearly needed. Bring your help so that we would be consoled and teach rightly and remain in our Christian walk and life. That we would not be a stumbling block for others, nor would we continue in sins against conscience. Protect us from sluggish people who do not observe your word. Sustain us by your word, which is pure, perfect, and clear. Grant us endurance and suffering and cross-bearing, and rule us with your Holy Spirit, so that we would not fall into error and vice, but instead would be and remain your dwelling and temple. Amen.